Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. So many of us have been through traumas, traumas of losing, whether it be people, children, friends. I hear the trauma of huge bangs going on round about me. And it's not for me. I believe there's people who you've had lives where bangs have gone off round about you. Things have almost exploded in your face. What's exploded has been your hopes, your dreams, your health. Relationships that you thought would actually work out. And God is saying he will not let you down. Hold on to him. Because God has got a plan and a purpose. You know, we're doing the series called Built to Last. You are built to last. You are built to last. You want to know why I know? Because scripture tells me that he has a hope and a future for you. For all the times that you have been through the bombs going off round about you, the bangs going off round about you, the trauma of things exploding round about you, God is saying you are built to last. Your finances are built to last. This church is built to last. Do you want to know why I know this church is built to last? Because he built this church. There's scripture that says that he will build his church and that no matter what comes against us, that heaven, his, heaven, hell may come against it, but his will will prevail. Come on now. You are built to last. Your health is built to last. You want to know why I know that? Because there's a scripture that says, by his stripes we were healed. You are built to last. Your health is built to last. This church is built to last. Your health is built to last. Your finances are built to last. You want to know why I know that? Because Deuteronomy 6 says that he will give you the way to make finances. He will give you the way to do it. We need not fear. I'm going to say thank you, Ban. Thank you, Ban, for serving. Will you take your seats? If there's one thing I want you to take away from this today is you are built to last. And every plan and purpose that the enemy has tried to bring against you will not prevail. There's a song that we used to sing when I was a kid in Sunday school. And I know we still sing it through there. And you can all join in because I know you all know it. When the rain comes down and the... When the rain comes down and the... When the rain comes down and the... And the house on the rock. Some say stood still, some say stood firm. That is biblical. Do you know what the house on the rock is based on? When we build our lives based on the truth and the word of God. Scripture. All throughout scripture. Now I will actually once in this talk use a sporting analogy. It will only ever happen once in my lifetime. Fiona and sport do not go together. I'm not the least bit interested in sport. My husband watches it. He talks about it with his mother. Sport, not a scooby what it's all about. And I will, I'll come back to that point. I will. 
But you know, we are living in times where there's such fear going on around about us. Is that true? The fear of the coronavirus. Do you know, we should take on, and we will take on, governmental advice. But let me tell you one thing. I will not live under the spirit of fear of disease coming against me. Why? Because I live under the cover of the blood of Jesus. Listen to this scripture. When Job was coming under attack of the, of, of the enemy, this is what God said. If I not put, this is from Job 1, if I not put a hedge around him and his household, this is talking about a hedge of protection and everything that he has, you have blessed the work of his hands. I know God has blessed the work of this, this church, blessed the work of your hands, God has got a hedge of protection around you and your family. Listen to this in Luke 21. Don't panic or give in to your fears, for these things are bound to happen. This is scripture, people. These things are bound to happen, but it's still not the end yet. For all the fear factor that's going on around about us, can we keep focused? Can we keep focused on who God is, what his promises say that we come under his protection and not under the fear of I can't touch? Now, I know there's that thing going around where you, instead of shaking hands, you go like this, right? I actually think that's just charismatic. That's like the charismatic, right? So you know what? If somebody comes up for a handshake and they want to boot you in the ankle, just say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Okay, remember whose child we are. Do you know, as a church, we actually have six values. And I've actually, I put it up here. The six values are, we put Christ first, we love people, we work in the community with each other, and we are serving to build the church. We're pioneers, but the one I want to talk on today is stewardship. Stewardship. Now, taking care, stewardship is taking care of our people, taking care of our resources, taking care of our buildings, taking care of them, and treat this probably five pound at a Tesco's for. Why? Because you were training them as to how to use and treat this phone properly. You don't give the most expensive phone to a kid who you can't trust won't actually drop it like Fiona's done, smashed her screen several times. But we actually, when we give our, um, our phones to our kids, we wanted them and we taught them how do you use these phones properly. And when they proved themselves, they then graduated onto the, the next size phone. What we were doing as parents were, we were teaching them responsibility, we were teaching them resilience, we were teaching them that if you actually take care of the things that you are given, we will give you more. But if you give to your kids a fancy phone and they leave it sitting on the bus and they've got off the bus and they don't know where it's gone, if they leave it sitting in the classroom and they've just disappeared, if they actually drop the phone or they don't ever take care of it, what is your attitude as a parent? I've paid for that! You will learn to take care of that phone. And if you think I'm going to come up with another phone out of, out of thin blue air, you've got another thing coming. Come on, what other parent is just like me? We want to teach our, parent, our kids responsibility. And I know as a pastor, when I first became a pastor, I was, it was a huge, steep learning curve for me. I never expected the things to happen that did happen. And as you know, previously I was a teacher in a bad boy school for 10 years. Now, I went through teacher training where they teach you to go through all the psychology classes, how to put lessons together, how to speak, how to communicate, what your body language should be. How many teachers are in the house? You all know what it's like to be trained as a teacher. But really, did you know how to be a teacher until you were put in front of the classroom? No. When I took on my job, I didn't realize that I was a bet. 
When I went in for my interview, there was a, a group of four guys who were actually running the school. Only one man actually believed that I could do the job. The other three said, you're mad, you shouldn't give the job, because there was four other people who were going for the same job. And in my head, I was able to say, you'll get the job because you were an ex-police officer. You'll get the job because you're way more qualified than me. You'll get the job because you're way more capable and you look a lot scarier than me. Now, I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> But they, they did look a lot scary to me. Now, this was a bad boy school. So when I got on this job, when I got this job, the reason why I got this job was because God ordained me to have that job. When I was going for this job, at that time, there was no teacher jobs going at all. And God, and God gave Gordon a word. He said, you will get a job on the 16th of August. I started on the 16th of August. When I got there, I thought, God, do you know what you're doing putting me in a job like this? There were, it was mental. It really was. And my boss said to me, if you do as I tell you, you'll be able to stick this job out. So this man, he was built like Billio. He was a, an ex-rugby player. And he taught me how to behave. First of all, he said to me, Fiona, never wear a skirt in the school. Because basically they would put mirrors on a stick and they would follow you around. And he said, you don't smile at them for the first year. You show them, you have to tell them that you love them, but that you won't be taken for a ride. So there I am in this classroom with eight of these kids. Now, eight doesn't sound a lot, but when it's kids that have been thrown out of mainstream schools and they're absolute, they're kids that are broken by their lifestyles. And they would come into the classroom and they were behaving from the rejection that they received and they would give your teachers hell. So my boss said, I'll have you doing assemblies about sooner than you know. And I'm like, assemblies? I can hardly get through the class. So he would, at the end of every day, he would talk through the day, how did you do? And I was like, I'd be greeting most of the time. I can't do this job, I can't do this job. I'd go home to garden, I would be absolutely knackered. I'd take a bath, I'd prepare for the next day. I'd go to my bed and I'd do it all over again. But slowly but surely, I learned how to do this job. And he did give me the assemblies and he did give me so much more responsibility. Joe, you know when you were a parent, and you were pregnant, did you have a Scooby what was ahead of you? This beautiful child who would keep you up at night, who would scream blue murder, who would have all their emotional melts, that would demand money from you, that demand their time. I do love my children, I really do. <laughs> but did you ever think that you could cope with being a parent? You see, the things that God has got for you, he's training you in the here and now to actually deal with so much more responsibility. He wants you to grow in your stewardship. I never thought when I got married almost 28 years ago when I was two <laughs> that God would give me the responsibility of three children, marry a man that was from Mars and to learn to live with a Martian. <laughs> How many women in the house can actually relate to this? You never actually think that you're able to do. You see, God starts you off with the small. He watches how responsible you are, how you're dealing with it, and then he grows you. He gives you more responsibility. He gives you more in your business. He gives you more people to take care of. He gives you more churches. He gives you, more, he gives you bigger and bigger vision because as he sees you deal with the small and take care of it, he says, that's the dude I want to take on more. Are you with me, church? Yeah. What am I trying to say here is the word of God is a manual for living life well. How we do marriage, how we run our finances, how we do church, how we treat one another. Do we have to remember, God gives us things because he wants us to be responsible. He wants us to build his church. And all that we're doing is stewarding. And when we steward according to God's ways, he will supernaturally multiply what's in our hands. Do you know this week, Gordon and I went through to Glasgow and uh, we had a called what you call a leadership checkup. And um, we were prophesied over for about an hour. 
And one of the things that was said over us is, there's winds of change all around you. Winds of change all around you. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I get that. Another thing that the lady said to me was, God is saying, what do you want? Now, I'm smart enough to remember there was a guy in the Bible who was asked the same question, what do you want? And he was smart enough to ask for wisdom. I don't know if I was quite that smart because I was asking, God, I want this church to multiply. I want to see souls be saved. I want the souls that are saved to go out into the highways and byways and bring out all those and invite new people in. I want to see many church locations. I want to see a worship center happening. I want to see an art center happening. I want to see so many different locations of people who are serving in the community, building each other. And that's just a start. God, what do I want? I want every lie that's been brought against me to be exposed and completely taken out. And I want to see the kingdom of God be established here in Dundee, that Dundee will not be known by the bad things, but that Dundee will be known by the churches that are strong, that are affecting community and seeing people be saved. What do you want? And God says it starts with stewardship. You want your dreams, what you've got in your hand right now, God is asking, will you take care of it? Because he wants to give you so much more. Oh my goodness, when we, whenever I cook a meal, I, I do love to cook. I'm not a cordon blue cook at all, but I do love to cook. I love to set the table. I love to put a candle out. It could be a bag of chips, but there'll be a candle out. The surface will be, be cleaned. There'll be the tomato sauce in a bowl, because like, I want it to look good. And when, my kid, when I call my kids, I want them to come on time. I don't want them to tell me, Fiona, mom, Fiona, if they come, don't call me Fiona, mom. I'm watching a TV program. Get your backside through here. Mom, I'm doing homework. Well, you can do that afterwards. If I call you for your meal and I've taken a while, well, not a while, but you know, when I've made an effort to actually set the table, then I expect you to come on time. I don't expect my kids to come in with their phones and sit there and not talk to me. I don't expect them to eat and not tell me that was a really good meal, Mom, that you bought. I want them to appreciate the effort I have put in to actually creating this meal. And if they actually were to shove back their chairs and go, see ya, I'm out of here, I'd be like, get your backside back here, you're on clearing up. You see, we work as a team and we work as a family. I don't expect people to actually come in here into church. And do you know what? We actually have so many people that work from eight o'clock on a Sunday morning preparing church. We have people who are van drivers who are going out to the storage unit to bring in all this stuff, all the stuff at the front, the coffee, everything. We have people who are working their butts off to make sure that this place is ready for church. And you know, if my kids were to just disappear and not help me tidy up or even criticize that their chips were cold, I'd be like, are you kidding me? If you got here on time, you would have been here for warm chips. And if they tell me what they don't like, and they're complaining about it, and they don't say, thank you, mum, for actually setting the table. Thank you, mum. Now, I'm not looking for grovelers, believe me, but I'm looking for an attitude of gratitude. And I want this church to be, be a church that has the attitude of gratitude, that we look to all those people who are serving and working day in, day out to make this church happen, to turn around and say, thank you. Thank you for lighting that candle. Thank you for heating my chips up. Thank you for making sure there's coffee here. Thank you that you would turn up to actually prepare to do worship. Thank you. Let us have a church that says, thank you just for the small things. Because as you're thankful for the small things, and God wants to give us so much more. Let's be a church where we're so grateful for those who work and serve. And do you know what? Can I tell you what a pastor Pastor pet peeve is? Pastor pet peeve. That that was a pretty pernickety phrase. Pastor Pet Peeve is when I know the work that people have put in and I see people just coming in late and then they complain about certain things. I'm like, really? 
you know what? I want to be like the mother that goes, get a grip and show me some great gratitude. Do you know, I have to tell you, my pastor attitude went out the window yesterday morning. Can I tell you, if you ever tell you, don't you tell anybody else out here, right? <laughs> I was on the food fridge yesterday morning and I, I take my daughter, Raina, and there's another lady who comes and I go around three um, supermarkets and my car's jammed, packed, full of food. Believe me, all my seats are down and it's jammed, packed, full. The other lady's got her car jammed, packed, full of food. And when we go into the, the fridge, there's just a few people that are ready like this with their bags. And they're like taking all the food like this. And I'm looking at them going, really? We're here to share. We're not here just to take what we get and for them to actually go and waste the food. And so as I'm putting out the food, my orders were, if you want to put some stuff in the, in the spare fridge, lock it, because then we will take that out at the other, another time during the day so that people who come in the afternoon have got some more food. And this wee old stinking old wee man <laughs> took me on. And he was effing and blinding me. I see you got that food in that spare fridge. And I just looked at him and I thought, are you kidding me? You don't even have an attitude of gratitude for those people who got out their bed on their day off and actually got the food here and actually made, made sure that, there's, that we're, we're stopping the food wastage, that we've got food here for people who need. And you're complaining to me! Do you know what? Within me, I was like... Ugh! And then I went away and had a, I was really quite shaken and had a wee greet to myself. And then when I had to go back at the end of the day to lock up, there was a wee man there. Do you see, God knows when we take our bomb hits... And at the end of the day, by the time I got there, there was this other wee man there. They're all wee compared to me, because I'm five foot ten. <laughs> this other wee man that was there. He said to me, he said, I actually am a chair of over 97 allotments in Dundee. We'd like to give over our excess vegetables. into." So I was like, thank you, Jesus. Joe, you know, we can get so distracted by those who are doing the complaining. And God showed me at the end of the day, will you get your eyes on those who are working hard to produce the food for other people? So, can I also say one thing I really appreciate about Mr. Mo? Mr. Mo, I hear his voice encouraging me. So let's be a church where we encourage one another. Can I also say happy birthday to Mr. James? Is he here? Is James here? James is 30 here. James works in our office. James, I have to sing your praises. James does an incredible job. Whenever I ask him to do something, he'll say, sure, Pastor Fiona, or sure, Fiona. And I'll say, I know you really are moaning inside, but he never shows me it. <laughs> he's got such a great attitude. He's always so generous with his, whatever he has, he's always willing to share it. So I just want to honor you, uh, James, and say happy birthday. I can't see you because you're somewhere in the dark. I would sing to you, but I know that's not always the best. <laughs> anyway, do you know, as a child, or one of my kids, when they had a birthday, they had been given quite a lot of money. And when we were sitting, it was actually back at the Gate Church, it was several years ago, and uh, I saw my kid giving so much of their birthday money into the offering, I'm like, really? What? I, how much are you giving there? And she said to me, don't worry, she says, I can get more from Dad. <laughs> really? You see, a child never worries that they're ever going to run out. A child never looks at his dad and thinks, Dad's going to have to give me money. No, sorry, a child never looks at their dad and thinks, I'm going to have to give my dad money. A child always looks at their dad and always expects that dad's going to give me money. That's how we should be as a child of God. But here's the one thing I want to take us to a scripture in Psalm 24. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all his people actually belong to him. One better scripture, Psalm 50, listen to this. For every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle in a thousand hills. Now, if I was hungry, would I tell you? 
okay, everything in the world's actually mine. And all that it's in it. Do you know what God's actually saying here? Nothing actually belongs to you. It's all God's. Here's the thing. You've been asked to be the stewardship of what God has given to you. Everything belongs to God. When I was 21, one of my great aunties actually died and left us all a thousand quid each. And we did. We thought we either do the sensible thing and save it. So we gave of our tithes, we gave of our offering, and then we went and we party hard like any other normal person would. And we went off to America. And when we went to America, uh, my dad knew this guy. I didn't even know how we knew him. And it was a guy who had, it was a bit like driving up to the South Fork Ranch. Andy, over the age of 40-odd will actually know what I'm talking about. South Fork Ranch. Remember in Dallas, it was that big ranch. It was a stunning big house. And when we went into this house, it even had a room for the trampoline. That's, it was just this glorious house. And we were all like, oh my goodness, amazing house. But as we walked into this house, do you know what the sign was above it? It's all gonna burn. This guy knew that God gave him the ability to actually make the money to actually buy the house. He kept it all completely in perspective. Why? Because he stewarded what he had well. And he was teaching his kids, finances is not our God. God is our God. It's all going to burn. For all that we own, we have to remember, God gave us the ability. God gave us the brains. God gave us the connections. God, and if we get too big for our boots, do you know what God says about that? <laughs> You'd never expected your pastor to do that. He will spit you out his mouth because he hates pride. In the first year of our marriage, when we actually, I was postgrad student and Gordon had a job and then he got made redundant and I was absolutely freaking out. We're not going to have any finances. How are we going to do this? And on my last grant, I actually bought a city. As, as you do. I, actually, it's a settee I still have today sitting in my bedroom. Why? Because I can't get rid of the settee because I'll look at it and think that's a promise of God. This settee that I had paid in my last amount of money had on, a thousand pounds was actually put through our door. And I'm like, you dancer, you see, a Christian becomes really proud. See, I knew God would actually supply. I was not in any fear whatsoever. I knew God was going to supply all our needs. The week before, I was just absolutely wetting myself. And Gordon said to me, don't you dare tell your father where we're at. Because he didn't want us to go run to our dad. He wanted us to go run into our heavenly father. So when we were giving that 1,000 pounds, I'm like, you know what? I was ready to bury it away, put it away. You know, whenever I need, I've got a bill, I'm going to pay for it. And Gordon said, we're going to give away 900 and we're going to keep 100. Are you off your head? Oh, yeah, you are a Martian. We gave away 900 pounds and I was freaking out. But which time I did go to my dad, dad, I don't know what I was doing, thinking marrying this guy. We've got no money. We have got, I've, got, I've still got to study. I didn't even have a job at that point. Gordon had been made redundant. And he gave away 900 of the pounds and we kept 100. And God said to me, Trust God and submit to your husband. Do you know what I did? I got that job and Gordon also got a job. You see, Gordon was determined that we would tithe and we would give of our offerings at the level that he wanted to be at. That's called a faith move. It's called stewarding your money well. On the first week of this series of Built to Last, Ian Mackey spoke on what it was to give tithe based on Exodus 23. Bring the best of the first fruits into the house. And also in Genesis 4, in the course of time, I love this about Mr. Cain, in the course of time, in other words, he took his time, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering, and Abel also brought his offering from the firstborn. The Lord looked on favor of Abel, but not on Cain. Now, you could say, Fiona, that's all about under the law. What about under the grace? I'm so glad you asked that question. I really am. Joe, we murder was not under the law. The law came 
See, Cain and Abel were actually 4,000 years before Christ came. The law actually came in after two and a half thousand years after Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel weren't actually under the law because the law didn't come in until after two and a half thousand years after them. But still at that point, God's principles was that we gave out of our first offering, our first income. That was God's principles. You see, God views when we don't give of our tithe as stealing. Listen to this in Malachi 3. You people are robbing me. And here you asking, how are we robbing you, God? Well, you're robbing me of the offerings and of 10% that belongs to me. God also sees tithe as being holy. And I've taken that from Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the Lord, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and it is holy. That's how precious God sees our tithes and our offerings in his sight. Now, out of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke about, actually 16 16 of them were actually all about finances and possessions. And I want us now to go into the New Testament and I want to read from the parable of the talents. How are we doing for time? Can anybody tell me? Okay, I've got, I want to push on. Listen to this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and today that's us. That's his, as his servants, as believers. And he entrusted them with his property. Another version says his wealth. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each according to his ability. Now his ability that he's talking about is how they actually were able to deal with the finances. Not their talents or their giftings. It was how they were able to deal and steward the money that they had. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So he... So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had only received one talent went and he dug it in the ground and he hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. Can I tell you, Jesus will be coming back to settle our accounts. Keep that in mind. So he came back to settle his accounts. Come back and see, sorry, see how they actually handled them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five ta- talents? Here. I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, hey, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can I just say that I had my socks pulled up this week when I realized I have used that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, in a wrong context. This is the only time well done, good and faithful servant is actually mentioned in scripture. And it's actually related to how he handled his finances. It was nothing to do with how he worked for God It was nothing to do with how many souls he brought into the kingdom of God. It was actually to do with how he handled his finances. That was a pull-up sock moment for me. So he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and now I'm going to set set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said the same one to who who had the two talents, because he doubled his money. And then he said to the one who came with the one talent, and he said, master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you didn't scatter. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have back what was yours. But his master answered him, you wicked, you slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I didn't and gathered where I hadn't sown. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should receive what was my own with interest. So take that talent from him and give it to the boy who had the 10 talents. And for everyone else... And to everyone who has, more will be given. 
and he will have it in abundance. Do you know, is this not the most surprising ending to one of the stories in the Bible? You didn't expect that to happen. That the one, you would think the one who went to bury it would be quite sensible. He didn't risk it. He didn't chance it. God, you know, he actually was able to give back to God what he actually had. But you see, everything that God gives to you in your hands, God wants you to multiply. And he wants you to actually multiply it for a reason and for a purpose. Why? Because you are blessed to be a blessing. Everything that God gives to you, he expects that you're going to multiply it. Whether it's with people, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your giftings, whatever we do in your business, God's always expecting you to multiply what you have. Talents at that time was actually worth over 30 years of salary. And I'm going to explain that. A Darius that they got paid in was actually worth one day's wage. A Darii, which was plural of Darius, was actually worth... Let me get this right. 300 days wages, which is almost equivalent to a year's wages. A talent was 10,000 darii, which means they were given almost a lifetime's wage to go multiply. Now, I know what you're thinking. If I was given a lifetime's wage to go multiply, I'd probably wet myself. How many of you would actually think, man, go and hide this, go and bury it before it goes missing and I've got to return it? It's true. It actually takes boldness. It takes guts to actually go and take the gifting, the ability, the finances God has given to you and actually go invest it and multiply it. Why? Because there's always the risk. I could lose this. But God gives us the ability to produce wealth. That is scripture. So let me move on because is my time going on. Okay. The only time that we'd ever get that we're afraid is when we don't trust in God. Jesus actually said, go and invest that money. For all that we have, remember what I said, actually all belongs to God anyway. If God's in need and he's hungry, is he going to come to you? He owns a thousand cattle, or cattle's on a thousand hills. He doesn't need you. Sam, can I tell you that all that we have actually belongs to God anyway. See the diamond that you're wearing? That was God's coal. See the bit of metal and the petrol it took to get here? That was actually God's crust of the earth that was used to actually make it and form it. See the house that you're living in? That was God's plants, trees. See the cups that you drink out of? That was God's clay. See the coffee you enjoyed and the chocolate you enjoyed? That was God's plants. You see, everything that we have actually belongs to God anyway. He's just asking us, will you take care of what I'm actually giving to you? But remember this, Deuteronomy 8, it's a brilliant scripture. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God wants you to produce wealth. He doesn't want you to, to bury it. He wants you to grow it. If you bury your, your, your money and keep it away and don't, and don't share it or give out of it, do you know what God says of you? You're a wicked and slothful servant. That's pretty serious. But Fiona, I'm only a one-talented person. That's okay. Go invest it. Go and use what God has given to you and go and invest it. Go and give of your tithes and your offerings and just watch what God will give back to you. You see, we can worry that I don't have enough money to live on. And if I give off my tithes and my offering, then I'm even going to have even less to live on. But God is saying, will you trust me with the 90%? Because I believe that what's left over, once we've given first to God, that God multiplies what is left in our hands. Scripture says that our danger zones, can I tell you the three danger zones? Don't bury it. Don't store it up for yourself and don't take your time in bringing of your tithe and your offering. That's what Cain did. 
He took his time and when he, when he gave to it, and God didn't look at it with favor. I want you to take to a guy in the New Testament where I want you to look at his attitude towards the wealth that he had. He was obviously a pretty smart man. He was able to make a lot of finances, but this is what God says about him in Luke 12. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll, big, I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grace. And then, sorry, grain. And then I'll say to myself, well, a fool seeks his own counsel, people. You have plenty of grain laid up for many of years. Take life easy. Have a glass of red. Put your feet up. Enjoy the journey. You've done your work. Keep it all for yourself. You're good. But God says to him, you absolute numpty fool. That very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This guy was all about himself. He laid up treasures for himself. He made sure him and his were all taken care of. And God reprimanded him. He had that attitude of the finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Remember the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. See, my kids, they can have the attitude of take, 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 take it all, take, take, take. God is asking you, will you give, give, give it all? You see, there's nothing in the Bible that says take, take, take it all. Jesus came to give and Jesus came to serve. So when we're singing that song, take, take, take it all, you're going to think differently now, aren't you? Give, give, give it all. God blesses us supernaturally when we steward what is given into our hands and we deal with it righteously. This talk is all about being blessed to be a blessing. And I truly believe that before we can be, be blessed is that we need to live by God's principles. Now, remember I said about the coaching or about the sporting analogy? Ian, are you pleased with me? Him, Gordon, all the guys seem to use all the sporting analogies. Joe, we need to learn the rules of the game, we need to know who we're playing with and we need to know what our opposition is. The rules of the game is, you know, what we give of our first fruits. We need to learn who we're working with, what we're building, the kingdom of God, and we need to know what our opposition is. The opposition is when we don't give of our first fruits. The opposition is when we don't obey what God has asked us to do. That's what our opposition is. Our opposition is when we bury it away and we store it away for ourselves. But God wants us on the winning team. God wants us in the wind. And he's actually given the word of God as a manual as to how we should deal with our finances. I definitely want to be in the winning team, people. I definitely do. God's plan is that we learn how to be good stewards and that we learn how to deal with our finances properly. Do you know, on Friday there, we actually had a bunch of the elders come to our house. We started at 8.30 in the morning. Come on, you know Jesus is alive when I'm up at 8.30 in the morning in a prayer meeting. I mean, in a, in a meeting. So there we were at 8.30 in the morning. They had given up their day's work, their, their businesses, their jobs to come. Why? Because they wanted to seek God and they wanted to plan for this house, what the house, this house of God would look like in three to five years. And I would just like to say thank you to all our trustees and our elders who give, 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 give. They help build this church. They help put in the backbone because they recognize that this is worth building the kingdom of God here in Dundee. Why do we talk about money in the church? Is it because you're, you're short? Is it because there's some trouble going on? No. Elijah went to the poorest woman to receive from, from, him, from her. 
He didn't go to a rich dude to ask to give. Why? Because God was actually setting up this widow to know what it was to give so that God could bring blessing into her life. And when her child actually died, Elijah the prophet came back and he brought her child back to life. Why? Because he knew that this woman would give of her first fruits. We don't talk as a church because we need projects to run. We talk as a church of giving and tithing because we believe this is what the word of God says. I would be doing wrong as a pastor if I never spoke of the truth of the word of God. Please hear me. Every time somebody worshipped in the Old Testament, do you know what they did? They brought an offering. That's how important an offering is. I want to move on here. Is it wrong to ask God to bless you? No. There's a dude in the, in the, New, in the Old Testament called Jabez. He was born in pain and his mother called him Jabez because he was actually born in pain. And he said, oh God, that you would bless me. Why was he asking this? Because he knew that he had, was born in pain, but he didn't want to continue to be a pain. He wanted to be a blessing. This man who was born in pain, he said this. He said, oh, that you would bless me, that you would expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do. That's my prayer. God, please be with me in all that we do. Expand the territory of this church. Bless this church. Why? Because we want to be a voice in this city for who Jesus is. Keep me from all trouble and pain. That should be our prayer. What are we praying for? And God granted him his request. You know, in the, the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Give us this day our daily bread. We're constantly asking God to give us things, to bless us. And God is saying, you live by my ways. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I'm going to ask Zoe to come up. Because God wants to bless and multiply who you are. I started this talk by saying you are built to last. You have been made and built to last. Your finances, your marriage, your career, who you are. You have been built to last. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Because I want us to pray. I want us to pray over our finances. I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to spend time with God and say, God, forgive me for where I have not dealt with my finances in a righteous way. I know we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I've learned this week, I had my eyes open to Fiona. The well done, good and faithful servant isn't about what you're doing in the church. It's not about doing what about what you're doing out there. It's actually what you're doing with your finances. And I actually got my knees and asked, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not understanding your word properly. But I want to be able to be called upon as well done, good and faithful servants. Our values to be good stewards. But I believe that people's finances have come under attack. You've either listened to lies from what other people have spoken over you about what the church does with finances, or you have listened to lies about the church is just grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. Not, not a chance. What the church is doing is teaching you God's ways so that you, in your hand, can be multiplied. Are you with me? So, Father, we plead the blood of the Lamb over this church, over the families of this church, over the, this whole family. We thank you, God, that you are the one that gave us the ability to make finances and to make wealth. And I believe there's people here who've had the bomb laid upon them of bankruptcy. And I believe God said to me when I was standing down there, if you want to break the power or the label of bankruptcy over people. For some, you have got the fear of being bankrupt. And for others, you actually have been bankrupt and you've had to be bailed out. God is saying today is a new day. 
today is a new day for the label that you have had spoken over you, that you're bankrupt and that you can't use your money wisely. I break the power of the negative words in the name of Jesus, the death that has been spoken over you, over your finances. And Father, I pray, God, that your hand of multiplication would be upon your people, upon your church. Father, teach us. I thank you, God, that your words already taught us how to use our finances and how to use it well. And Father, may we see, oh God, great abundance be brought forth over this church. And Father, as those open up, those people who just open up their hands, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would bless the work of their hands. And Father, for all that you're putting into their hands, Father, may they know what it is to multiply what is in their hands. You may just want to call out to God, Lord, show me how to multiply. Show me how to be a good investor. Because I believe that there's many people in this church that God has asked you to be an investor for the kingdom of heaven. You see, you are blessed to be a blessing. God has given you the ability to go and make finances, whether it's in business, whether it's in stocks, whether it's investments. God has asked you to be a multiplier for the kingdom of heaven. If you want to receive that, you receive that. Say, God, I want to be a multiplier. I want to be an investor in the kingdom of heaven because whatever God puts into your hands, he's entrusting into your hands because he wants to multiply it. But if he gets to you and your hands are so tight that you become a stagnant river, no, a stagnant dam, and you're not a river, God cannot flow into you. Just start flowing out. God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you with my finances. I want to be able to give. No, no, God, that you will keep on flowing through my life with finances, that you will blow me. And I declare that mortgages will be paid off supernaturally. Mortgages will be paid off in the name of Jesus, that debts will be cleared, and that God will bring a supernatural blessing upon you, upon your finances, upon this church, upon all the projects that are going on, upon all that we're doing, even our future projects, even our future church plants. We are speaking out, oh God, your blessing, your blessing, your blessing, your blessing. Father, those who have got the keys of the kingdom to multiply what's in their hands, Father, may they be supernaturally multiplied more than what they could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And I just want to speak over you this one scripture. Verse Psalm 35, it says, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Joe, we're going to sing one more song and I want you to magnify God. I want you to pray over your finances. I want you to declare his blessing that that he will give you the ability to multiply and to make wealth for the kingdom of God because when you have your finances flowing into the kingdom of God, you will see so much more abundance and blessing on your own life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.